Thank you. Well, it's good to be back. Our, our time, I've been gone for about three weeks, I believe it is. Um, I had a week in Philippines, and over a thousand people attended the youth conference over there. Um, but I'm glad to be back here, and I miss our churches dearly. And so uh, I had a time at KL Chinese Church last week as well, as I had the privilege of dedicating my little nephew, Yi's sister's son. And uh, so I've been gone for two weeks, but it really means I've been gone for three weeks since we alternate between SAC and DAC. But uh, just glad to be back here. And um, as we continue our study this morning in the book of John, I just want to ask you to bow your heads once more with me for a word of prayer. Let's pray, shall we? Father in heaven, as we're about to open your word, I pray that you'd please help us to put aside all distractions. Help us to come and focus upon Jesus. Help us to understand the word that we're about to read and even the spoken word. Lord, please draw us closer to thy throne of grace and mercy this morning that we might truly hear the voice of your Spirit speaking to us. Guide us now, O Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 7. We finished six chapters already, and John chapter 7 is a very interesting chapter which has taken really a turn of events. John chapter 7, we're starting in verse 1 there. The Bible says, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for He would not walk in Jewry because the Jews sought to kill Him. Now, what's very interesting is what has happened in the first six chapters of the book of John. And if we were just to recap, in John chapter 1 is just Jesus' introduction, and then He has His encounter with Philip and Nathaniel. Nothing serious, nothing that would warrant anybody to want to kill him. In John chapter 2, he, he performs the turning of the water into wine at the wedding feast, and then he cleanses the temple. Nothing serious there as well. Maybe when he overthrew the tables, it got some people upset, but nothing to the point where people would want to kill him, you know? John chapter 3, Jesus has this long conversation with Nicodemus, and then at the end, is John the Baptist speaking and pointing others to Jesus once again. Nothing serious once again, at least not to the point of warranting death. John chapter 4, Jesus is all the way in Samaria, and He meets that woman at the well and has this long conversation with her, and He ultimately stays for a few days, and many people are converted. And at the end, it's the nobleman's son who is sick to death, and finally he believes, and Jesus heals him something that would definitely not warrant death, but even praise and adoration. John chapter 5, he heals the man by the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath, and then they have a long conversation with the Pharisees about Jesus breaking the Sabbath. But once again, if anything, Jesus should be praised and loved because he healed this man that had a sickness for 38 years. And then finally, in John chapter 6, He feeds the 5,000, He walks on water and calms the sea. Miracles upon miracles really is what we're seeing through the first six chapters of John, 
But right at the very end of John chapter 6, it's where Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. This is where He declares that I am God. And at that point, many, many turn away and don't follow Him anymore. And it's almost as if John chapter 6 to John chapter 7 is the turning point where people's love is turned into outright hatred. Not only did they stop following Him, but now they're ready to kill Him. And this is what we're seeing in John chapter 7 and verse 1. People had rejected Him now, and now not only are they rejecting Him, but they're ready to kill Him. What else was going on though? Let's jump down to verse 5 of John chapter 7. Look at this. For neither did His brethren believe in Him. So, not only were, were all the general population of the Jews starting to reject Him, but even those that were closest to Him, they're also starting to reject Him as well. And then this is what Jesus responds in verse 6. Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hateth me, because I testify of it, that the works thereof are evil. Go ye up unto this feast. I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. At this time, it was the Feast of the Tabernacles, and all the people from all surrounding cities and nations, really, that were Jews, were coming to celebrate this feast. This was the last of the seven feasts that we find in the book of Leviticus, and it was a time of celebration. It was a time of reminder that God had delivered the people from Egyptian bondage, and they were remembering all those that lived in tents throughout that time, but yet it was a time of freedom. And so everyone was coming together, and Jesus was invited to this, and his disciples are asking, you're going to come? And he says, no, my time is not yet come. And he told them I was, he was not going to go, but later on he would appear. However, there's one thing that we can realize about Jesus' statement here in John chapter 7. Jesus always lived according to God's time. To everything, there was a plan and a purpose and timing especially. I mean, if we look at Galatians chapter 4, the Bible says, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. In the fullness of time, at the perfect time, at the appointed time, God would send His Son. Jesus was sent at the exact time that He needed to be. Jesus would die at the right time. He was the one that would fulfill the prophecy of the 70 weeks in Daniel chapter 9 and the 2,300 days to the very T. Jesus' life was all governed by God's time and God's time alone. And the question that I want to ask ourselves is, as we reflect on this, is our life governed also by God's timing? Or is it our own? And by this, I don't just mean for better or for worse, but sometimes we can say the right things at the wrong time. Right? There is a timing and a season and a purpose for everything, but are we where we need to be right now at this time? It's God's timing 
our timing. And more than anything else, as we are sitting here wondering this morning, the question that we really have to ask ourselves is this, how can we know that we are living to what God wants us to live at this time right now? Does God want you to be here in KL right now at this time? Are you going to be studying this course at this time? Not just are you sinning or not. That's usually the good and the bad, but, you know, are we at the right place at the right time and is God guiding us and guiding our life? For our lives are all so different, but yet at the same time intricately weaved together and our lives affect each other to a certain degree and our presence or our absence will determine how also God will guide through all of this. Are we living in God's time today? Well, before we go on to this, I do want to go through the rest of chapter 7 because the answer really is given to us at the very end of the chapter. And what you'll notice in John chapter 7 is that the people that Jesus meets in this chapter, their reactions are so interesting. Let's go to John chapter 7, and let's look at our first text up there, verse 12. Look at the reaction and the, and the different reactions of the people that He meets throughout this chapter. It's all in Jerusalem. It's all there. They're all Jews, okay? They're all Christians in a sense. But look at this, verse 12. And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him. For some said, he is a good man. Others said, no, he deceives the people. Do you see that? There were two groups of people. He's a good man, but he what? He deceives the people. Look at verse 15. Jump down with me to verse 15. And the Jews marveled, saying, how knoweth this man letters, having never learned? They were amazed at the knowledge that Jesus had and how He knew the Bible or the Scriptures or whatever He said. It was so deep, deeper than what the Pharisees knew who had studied in those schools of theology and they came out as apparently learned men. But yet these people marveled at Jesus. They were amazed at His knowledge. And then, verse 20, look at this. The people answered and said, what? Hello? You have a devil. <laughs> Do you see that? They're amazed. Then all of a sudden you have a devil. Jump down to verse 30. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him because his hour was what? Not yet come. They were ready to take him. They were amazed by him. Some believed in him. He's, they said he was a good man. Now that they say he's a devil, they're ready to take him. So many different reactions in John chapter 7. Let's jump down to verse 31. And many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? Now, they're ready to believe on him again. Do you see that? Verse 40. Look at this. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, of a truth, this is that prophet. And that prophet, you see the word prophet, the capital P? It was that prophet that Moses was prophesying of that would come and basically be the Messiah, the Savior. And so all of a sudden, the crowd now says, oh, that's the prophet. That should come. 
They're ready to take him. They're ready to kill him. They're ready to crown him. They call him a devil. They're amazed by him. Do you see that? And then lastly, in verse 43, so there was a division among the people because of him. Through and through, these Jews were constantly divided over Jesus. And you would almost imagine these people to be like double-minded. One minute they're for him, the next minute they're ready to kill him. This happened in John chapter 6 as well. After Jesus fed them with bread and fish, they were ready to make him king. And then he gives this long speech, they all rejected him. And we see this constant swerving between two opinions in this group of people. And, And I wonder sometimes, many times actually, we really are like them as well, isn't it? And sometimes we're ready to follow God all the way to the grave. And you know, I see this even in like Philippines Youth for Christ when they had their youth conference. There many people came up for the appeal and, and they're ready and they're crying and we're, we're crying tears of repentance and, and whatnot. And then we go home and we change again. You know. And the reason why I bring this up is because I ask you the question, are we living according to God's timing? Are you where you need to be today because that's where God has brought you? If you looked at the life of Christ, you would probably be quite shocked. If you were one of His disciples, you might have probably quite a bit of anxiety wondering why Jesus lived a certain way sometimes. And why he caused such commotion, in a sense, amongst the people. But it's almost as if Jesus really had been trying so hard to prove that he was that prophet. That he was God. That he was the Savior. I mean, you look at the first six chapters, he did so many miracles, didn't he? And so really, it wasn't Jesus' fault that the people were like this except that they probably did not understand why they were there. And so they had this back and forth, and God was not in the midst of them. I want us to go back earlier, John chapter 7 and verse 16. I want to focus on what Jesus says, okay? Let's go back to our Bibles in John chapter 7 and verse 16. I want, you to sh- I want to show you what happens here in this chapter that is so important. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but His that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. But he that seeketh his, his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why go ye about to kill me? The people answered and said, You have a devil. Who's going about to kill you? And then Jesus answers in verse 21, I have done one work, and you all marvel. Moses therefore gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers, and ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry? 
at me because I've made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. If you're wondering why Jesus brought this up, He wasn't referring to the circumstances of John chapter 6, where He had turned, well, He had fed the 5,000. He was actually referring to something earlier. Why was He talking about the Sabbath all over again? Why is the law of Moses brought in? What is He referring to here? Remember that man that was sitting by the pool? The man by the pool of Bethesda? Jesus healed him, right? And he started to walk. And Jesus told the man, take up your bed and walk and go home. So the man took up his bed and he started going home. And who did he meet along the way? He met the Pharisees and the Pharisees, instead of being overjoyed that this man was healed, they said what? Why are you breaking the Sabbath? And they got really upset. And eventually, they found out that Jesus was the one that told this man to take up his bed and walk. In other words, Jesus was a Sabbath breaker. But here he says that the Pharisees were willing to circumcise a baby on the Sabbath day because the law of Moses stated that when a baby is born, the male child had to be circumcised on the eighth day. And even if the eighth day fell on the Sabbath, they still had to circumcise this child. And Jesus is saying, if you do that, how is that any different for me to heal this man on the Sabbath day? Do you see that? And so that's why at the end in verse 24, he's telling the Pharisees and the priests, I want you not to judge according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. In other words, you must be impartial. He's reasoning with them, but he's showing them that they were hypocrites. Do you see that? It's like, you, you do this, but yet you're condemning me for doing this. Now you tell me what's the difference, and they couldn't. And so Jesus was trying to reason with them and show them that what he did in John chapter 5 was okay. There was nothing wrong with it. You know, when Jesus would say such statements, when He would give such a speech, it would only result in two types of reactions. Do you know this? Well, what is the sort of message that He gave? It was a straight message. And the first reaction, if you were standing there listening to Jesus' word, the first reaction you would, you would have is they would see the error of their ways and what? Repent. Jesus, you're right. We've been hypocrites. We shouldn't have done that. Uh, we circumcised, you're right, and you healed, and that's just as good, if not better. We shouldn't be hypocrites. I'm sorry. That should be the first reaction, right? But if you didn't have that sorry reaction, the other reaction that you would have is it would make you angry and you'd want to kill him even more. When a person comes and gives you usually a straight message, it results in only one of two. You'll either repent or you'll get even more angry at the person that told you that straight message, right? Now, it doesn't take a genius to figure out which course the Pharisees took. Which one do you think it was? Obviously, the second one. The Pharisees, they weren't repenting. 
Jesus exposed their hypocrisy, and it just made them even the more angry. But you know, friends, I want to show you that Jesus actually, throughout the first few chapters of John, He's been giving straight messages. Do you know that? John chapter 3, what did He say to Nicodemus? You've got to be born again. Basically, He told Nicodemus, in this current state, you're lost. How about the woman at the well? What did Jesus say to her that was so straight? Oh, I know you. You have five husbands. And the one that you're currently with is not even your husband. That's pretty straight up, isn't it? How about the nobleman? You know that nobleman whose son was sick? Do you remember what Jesus said to him? He said, except you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. Straight message once again. How about the man by the pool of Bethesda? What did he say to him after he was healed and he found him again? What did he say to that man? He said, sin no more, lest the what? Worst thing come upon you. That's pretty serious, right? And then finally, to the Jews after he fed them, he said what? I'm the bread of life. You've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. You know, when you, when you look at the first few chapters of the book of John, Jesus actually had been doing this earlier already. He'd been giving a pretty straight message. Of course, He was tender. But you know what He was trying to do? He was trying to wake them up to their need, to realize their hypocrisy and their need of Him. Not just to condemn them for the sake of condemning because He hated them, no. But Jesus spoke these words because He loved them. And in John chapter 7, we see the same thing. We see the same instance come up again. And, um, you know, had they seen their hypocrisy and repented, they would have realized Jesus really knows what He's talking about. Yes, He can read our hearts. He's the teacher that we've been waiting for. He's that prophet that would come and lead us. Had they only not been so hard and proud, they might have accepted Jesus right there and then. But the feast goes on, and uh, they continue to have this conversation. But now, John chapter 7, please jump down with me to verse 37. It's towards the end of the feast. The feast, days went, the, the feast of Tabernacles went for seven days. And on this last day in verse 37, the great day of the feast, it says, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. You know, Jesus said, If any man, what? thirst. If any person not just is thirsty, but if he realizes that he is thirsty, realize their condition. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17, written by the same author, says the same thing. And the Spirit and bride say, come, and let him that heareth say, come, and let him that is athirst come, and whosoever will 
let him take the water of life freely. This is the invitation that actually John gives at the very end of Revelation to everybody. If you recognize your thirst, then come and drink. And I'm telling you, friends, this is what Jesus was trying to do with the Jewish nation, to get people to realize that they actually need to come and drink. For many of us, we don't realize it. We carry on in our own self-sufficiency. We carry our lives on continually thinking that this is what I should be doing and this is where I need to be. And we're satisfied, we're content, and we don't see the need for continual growth. Jesus said the same words to the woman at the well, actually. John 4, 14, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And this woman just said, well, please give me that water then. But that's where Jesus said, oh, go get your husband. And he highlighted her problem and helped her to realize that she did not realize her necessity and her need yet. Friends, what is this living water? Verse 39 of John chapter 7, I didn't finish it. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. You know, this is the last statement that Jesus makes in John chapter 7 before it concludes, and his time with the Jews at the Feast of the Tabernacle is concluded. This, this living water that will flow out of us, he says it is the Holy Spirit. What does that have to do with living in God's timing? How do you know that this is where God wants you to be today? How do you know that this is the job that God wants you to be living in? Uh, working in today? How do you know that God has led you to this point in your life to be with this person and this partner and that you're to marry this person? How do you reconcile your heart and mind for better or for worse that this is where God needs you to be right now? When you look at Jesus' life, look at John chapter 7 verse 1. Many people wanted to kill Him. If you were the disciples and you knew this and you're anxious for Jesus, you'd be wondering in your heart, Jesus, why do you have to say such words to make people even more angry? Right? If I was a disciple of Christ and I was looking at our Savior, why does He say such words to seem like pushing people away? If you're the Messiah, you should draw people to you. Right? If you were the Savior of the world, everyone should love you. Why, why are you saying words that would make people want to hate you even more? Shouldn't you get the Pharisees on the same side with you? Shouldn't you, after feeding 5,000, gather everyone together? Uh, it, it's puzzling to us sometimes, and we're wondering, 
Jesus, why are you doing this? But guess what? He was living according to God's time. He was saying the words that God wanted him to say. He was doing the things that God wanted him to do. He was being in the place where God wanted him to be, like at that well to meet the woman of Samaria. And God was verily with him when he said to the Jews, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. God was right there with him when he was in the temple and he was throwing the table over and chasing all those people out. God was right there with him. And you know what? At the end of all that Jesus did, where did it land him? Right there on the cross. And sometimes we go through unpleasant experiences in our life. And maybe friends might even come up to you and say, had you not said this, you wouldn't, this would not have happened. I'm sure the disciples must have been tempted to, to go up to Jesus and say, Jesus, if you had not just said this, you would not be on the cross. Right? Jesus, if you had only done this a bit different, no one would hate you and no one would kill you. I can understand why they hate you, Jesus. You know? But friends, sometimes when you live according to God's timing, it will bring you into very difficult places. Sometimes when you say the words that God wants you to say, it'll get people to hate you and not love you. Sometimes as you learn to walk with Jesus and His Word becomes your life, His Spirit becomes your spirit. His thoughts become your thoughts and His ways become your ways. And God guides you into different places and those places lead you to have people that would react differently to you. Those closest to you might even start to reprimand you saying, why did you say that? But how can we know if we are living according to God's timing today? You must have that living water in you. You must have the Spirit of God abiding in you. Where in John chapter 15, 16 and 17, Jesus says, when that Holy Spirit, the Comforter will come, He will guide you and lead you into all truth. Don't think what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit is the one that will be your mouthpiece at the end of time. If you are walking with Jesus every day, don't worry about the consequences. You know, so many of us, we, we look at our consequences and by that we judge our faithfulness. Do you know that's the human way we think? You had an accident, you must not have prayed before you started the car. Hmm. You got a divorce, what did you do? You must have said something. You know what I mean? You're in hospital with cancer. What, what did you eat? This, this is the human reaction, isn't it? 
And I know we don't do it with Jesus, but some people in their day must have sat there and go, Jesus, what did you say? That got you nailed to the cross. Are you with me? We must never judge the outcome. I mean, our faithfulness by the outcome. If we were to do that, Christianity would be a failure. Peter was crucified upside down. John was thrown in a pot of boiling oil and then exiled to an isle of Patmos. Right? If we were to judge our faithfulness and God's leading based upon our outcome, many of God's people would be failures. But friends, how to know? Sometimes in the midst of it, you don't know, except one thing. Are you walking with Jesus? Are you diligently walking with Him every day? Are you praying for His Holy Spirit to fill you every day? Is God's timing our timing? And the best time to meet God is in the morning. When we recommit our life to Him each and every day. You know, I messaged just recently, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was last week, about that ebook. I think Peter was the one that sent it and shared it with us. And it started going, making its rounds. And then uh, finally, my wife, I saw her reading in the bed one day. I was kind of surprised because she doesn't really read that much. So my interest got piqued. And she told me about this story about this book about Pavel Goya. And there was one story, there was many stories in there. And you've, if you've not read this book, One Miracle After Another, it's an amazing book. But at a young age, Pavel Goya, he learned to have personal devotion. Never skipped it. Not even for school. And you would think that would be crazy, right? Well, one day he woke up late. And you know, Pavel Goya, he lived in a communist country back then. He's in U.S. now, but he lived in this communist country, and things were very serious, even with schooling. Anyways, he woke up late, and he, he realized that if I, were, if I were to make it to school on time, I have to leave now and skip my devotion. But he decided to spend time with God, and he spent over one and a half hours with God, and he arrived to school at 10 o'clock, high school, that is. And when he got into the second period there, his turn, friend turned to him and said, Powell, how did you know our teacher was sick this morning and didn't take the role, the, the attendance? So many miracles that came about because he learned to walk with Jesus first. Philip the deacon in the book of Acts, he walked so closely with God that one day God spoke to him and said, Philip, I want you to go talk to this eunuch. He's sitting in a chariot, and he needs your help. And because of his walk with the Lord, this eunuch was baptized, and Philip was the first man to experience what teleportation was. God just took him by the scruff of his neck and threw him to another place of the world. Miracles. His name was Peter, the great apostle. 
One day he was so hungry, he was sitting on the roof waiting for lunch to be served, and instead of getting all agitated, he decided to pray, and he went into vision, and at the end of the vision, he went to the house of Cornelius. And at the end of it, he saw not just Cornelius, but his whole family baptized just because he was hungry. How to know if God is guiding each of our lives? If I may just share a little bit of my life into how has God guided. You know, when I was in the United States, we were there, I was there from 2003 to 2009. And you know, my brother, he came later on and we'd always discuss and talk about, oh, we should go back to Asia one day and help it. But you know, in the back of our minds, it really wasn't there. Asia? I'd left Asia back in 1993. I never had any desire to go back. Grown up in Australia, now in U.S., good impulses, but I'm telling you, you got to be careful what you tell God. In 2009, well, it was really 2008, the global financial crisis hit. Some of you are too young to know what that is, but the ministry that I was working with ran out of money, and they came and just gave my brother and I one month's notice. Unfair, unjust, hurt, angry, yeah. Unwilling? Absolutely. I came back to Malaysia. Why Malaysia, you might wonder? Because if I went back to Australia and lay on my parents' couch, I would endure nagging until I die. I have Asian parents. So I came back to Malaysia. My brother came back here. Buffy was from here, of course. My soon-to-be wife was from here. So I came here and uh, just to wait it out to see what opportunities would await for me to be there and go back to U.S. None of the doors opened up. And by the time I got back to Anan, who was looking for a Bible teacher, they had already gotten another person to teach for the next six months. So they said, wait till September. I said, okay, we'll see. In January, I got an offer to work in Taiwan as a chaplain. I said, I'll take it. I sent my resume. In one day, they came back to me and said, you're hired. I was shocked, but I thought, Lord, this is how you're leading. So after I got married in June, we moved off to Taiwan, and as soon as I started working, I hated it. And I said, why, God? And you know, in, in times of discouragement and darkness, we always ask why. And we forget that God led us to that point. Do you know that? And I've learned that instead of asking why, just pray, God, help me through it. But I got to that point, and I would come back from school at lunchtime every day and lie on that tiled floor with a headache. I just hated it. Teaching high school Bible to 72 students every day. After one month, I knew I was leaving at the end of the school year. The principal knew as well. And he didn't bother to ask me to renew my contract. But it just so happened that Robbie, for those that know him, he was pastoring in Taiwan, and he was leaving just as I was going to leave as well. And he said, Ben, why don't you try pastoring? I said, no, thank you. And he said, no, just give it a try. And um, for those that don't know, I went to Taiwan in 2007 to preach. 
The conference president back then knew me and my parents, and out of courtesy, I just went, but he was looking for a pastor for their church. 2011, I would be back there again. And Yi this time said to me, Ben, I don't want to come back four years later. So you better just test if this really is God calling you or not. Reluctantly, I took up pastoring in 2011, July. And my deal with God was this. I'm not kidding. I prayed, God, if I fail, don't bother me about pastoring again. Well, the fact that I'm standing here before you today knows that God didn't fail. And um, because of these circumstances, this is how I got into pastoring. I want to share one more opportunity, uh, one more experience, and then I'll close. Why am I here in Malaysia today? Taiwan was a great life. He and I, we miss it dearly. In a heartbeat, I would go back to pastor in Taiwan. It's a much nicer city than KL. It's safer. It's just as polluted, but, you know, sometimes a typhoon comes and blows all the pollution away, and you see the blue skies for a little while. <laughs> but life was good, and um, we had a good church. And the only reason why I decided to come back to Malaysia is because David, he said he, that they were setting up a Bible school. And I've always wanted to teach Bible, not at high school level, but to those who wanted to learn. And so when David came knocking and said, Ben, come back, we need a teacher, we need someone to run the Bible school, I looked at my wife and she said, are you sure? For those that know my brother and I, we're fire and oil. He lights the fire, I pour the oil on. You know? And uh, when I told my mom, she's like, are you sure? When I told my sister, are you sure? How to know if this is God's will or not? The only thing that I could go back to the only thing that, even when it came to going to Taiwan and pastoring there, even when, to take up the pastorship, even to move back to Malaysia, the only thing that I could count on was, God, am I walking with you today? I'm not sure. But you told me that if I delight in you, you give me the desires of my heart. And the desires of my heart is not to pastor, I'm sorry is to teach. I genuinely enjoy Sabbath school more than preaching in divine service. I enjoy that more than preaching to a thousand people. But the only thing that I could go back to is, God, am I walking with you? If I'm walking with you, you will show me at the right time whether this is a right decision of a wrong decision. And friends, sometimes the little things in life and the decisions that you make are not so clear-cut. It's not about good and bad. It's about choices 
that are not moral. Should I work in this company or that company? Should I live in this place or that place? Should I buy this car or that car? It's not so clear cut. Except you've got to ask yourself this one thing. God, am I walking with you today that your Holy Spirit can guide me tomorrow? I wasn't sure. My family was not sure. My mother was not sure. Even my sister, who knew us so well, was shaking their head. But I took the plunge anyways. And I know that God has molded my life and also my brother's in how we've worked together. But today, I'm more sure than ever because hindsight is always 20-20 vision, isn't it? But when you're in the midst of making those decisions, the only thing that you can hold on to is your relationship with Jesus Christ. And you know, friends, you can know that God is leading you if He's in you. And so really, the question more than anything else today is Jesus living in and through you. Or else you will live to regret the consequences that come with some of the words or actions that you do. But we've got to make sure that for better or for worse, whatever the outcome is, is God guiding your thoughts? Is God guiding your words? Is God guiding your actions? And if he, if he is, you have nothing to fear for the future. Amen? And instead of asking why, you will tell God, I know you have a plan. Just help me through whatever I'm going through right now. So whatever situation that you're facing, that maybe is not the best, give it to God. Learn to walk with Him. And he'll turn that circumstance, that trial, into a blessing. He did it with Job. He did it with John. I've experienced that in my own life as well. And I know that he will do it for every one of us if we are willing to walk with him today. And so, friends, as we stand for our closing song, may this be the song of our heart this morning, or this afternoon rather. Live out thy life within me. And if Christ does, it's a life of peace. It's a life that you can go to sleep at night amidst any storm that is blowing around you. Let's stand, shall we, as we sing this closing song to ask God to live his life in and through us today. You know, following Christ is not always a bed of roses. Sometimes it takes a lot of faith. There's worry behind it. There's stress behind it. But the thing that allows us to still have peace in our heart is knowing that as we've walked with Christ, He is right there with us side by side. And not just that, but that He's guiding every single one of our decisions. You know, friends, some of you, you're in, in the valley of decision and maybe you've been hesitating for a long time whether you should move one way or another. The only thing that you really need to check is God with you today. Are you walking with Him? Have you surrendered everything to Him? Have you given Him everything in your life? Are you allowing the Word of God to be written in your heart each and every day 
so that His thoughts will become your thoughts. His way will become your way. And friends, unfortunately, if we don't do that, it'll always be a guess at best. And so let us learn to walk with Christ. I know that it will change your countenance. It will take away your stress. It will give you a new life in Christ today. Let's bow our heads, shall we? Father in heaven, Lord, you've always wanted to come and commune with us. But so many of us, we get so busy with life. We get busy with our jobs. We get busy with our families. We get busy with our studies. We get busy having fun. And we leave you behind. And then when the tough times come, Lord, we turn around and we blame you, not realizing that we are the ones that brought it upon ourselves. But Lord, help us to learn to walk with you today, to make you our constant companion, that through the thick and the thin, we can make sure that we've submitted our life to you each and every day, that whatever stresses and trials come our way, we'll not lose our faith, but we'll have greater confidence knowing that the God of this universe is right there by our side. So Lord, guide each of us, lead us to the fountains of living waters that we might drink and be filled, that truly the Holy Spirit might abide in each of us today. Bless us, O Lord, to that end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.